The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for the podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer and co-founder of this podcast and its biggest promoter. Just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you give us a five-star rating, then when people are looking for help or messages of hope, they'll find this podcast. And that's what we're all about. Please also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a thumbs up on our videos. And if you ring the bell, you'll get notified whenever we put up a new video. Today, we have an interview with a gentleman that I think will be inspiring for you. We are meet, We are talking today to Lance Dyer, and Lance is a former Army Ranger whose son felt, fell victim to synthetic cannabinoids, and today Lance leads the fight to stop its le- legal distribution. Forming an alliance with Drug-Free World, his work contributed to banning the sale of the drug in the U.S. So let's talk to Lance Dyer. Lance Dyer, thank you so much for being willing to talk to us on the podcast today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I um, I know a little bit about your story, but that's because I did watch the Voices for Humanity program. But give a little bit of your background. I know you were um, you were an Army Ranger. Thank you for your service. And tell us how that came about and just a little bit about you. Um, I was born in Bolaruca, Georgia. In 1962, uh, middle class, rural family, uh, played football, baseball, uh, went off to college, uh, joined the military, uh, the army, spent time there, uh, got out, uh, took over a family business, uh, married Deanna, and we both had children from previous marriages and we had Dakota. Okay. Uh, March, I mean, uh, December 1st. And on March 10th, 2012, on uh, the 9th, him and one of his, a couple of his friends went to a local convenience store and they bought a product. It was called Mr. Miyagi's Time Out. It was labeled as incense potpourri now it's known as synthetic marijuana spice k2 uh mojo at the time it was legal every convenience store in the country was selling it every head shop smoke shop sex novelty store and what it was was a damiano leaves basically at the time it's a biological substance out of South America. You can smoke a pound of it and the worst you're going to do is cough. Hmm. But they were lacing it with synthetic cannabinoids, uh, synthetic cathinones, and in some cases, synthetic opioids. What that did to, to go through the process of this, they mixed it with acetone, an oh. industrial paint stripper. And they would spray it on these and let the acetone carry the synthetic cannabinoid, a crystalline substance into the uh, biological material. And then they'd package it. They packaged it in all these neat little Mylar bags, everything from Scooby snacks to SpongeBud. Uh, They would use whatever 
was current with young people at the time as the advertisement. Well, Dakota was, what, 6'3", 13-inch shoe, starting defensive end on a football team, um, A-B student, more girlfriends than his mama and grandmama was comfortable with, uh, <laughs> never used a drug before in his life. And they twisted the devil's tail and the devil bit back. They mm. bought some of this stuff, came home, smoked it. Back then, they called it a psychotic break. That's the effect it had on his brain. Now it's called excited delirium. And he took a handgun and stood. I can only imagine the Civil War he was fighting with inside of himself. And we had had all the talks with him. We had the don't do drugs, don't drink, be respectful to women, respect your elders. We had all the conversations. This one we didn't know to have with him. Mm. There was nothing out there. There was no material. There was nobody that was educating anyone at the time. Uh, they smoked it. He went through this excited delirium and took a handgun did what less than 1% of the people do that do this, stood in front of a full-length mirror, a haltery, and watched him shoot himself in the head. Wow. Oh, I found him about 10 minutes later. He was still alive. Uh, he was airlifted out of my front yard, and we lost him five hours later at Children's Hospital in Atlanta. I'm so sorry, Lance. At the time, we thought somebody had tried to break into the house, and he put up a fight and got shot. The thoughts of my son shooting himself, I, I would have bet every last dollar I got five minutes before I found him, that would have never happened. Right. If he had a fault, it was his vanity. He would, one of the major times I remember him getting in trouble, he stole his mother's cover-up makeup to hide a pimple. For him to do something to his face, or his, uh-uh, that wasn't him. Right. When we found out what got him, we found the package. I had to educate myself real fast because I didn't know what it was. And once I figured out what it was, I had a conversation with a store owner. Uh, he told me where he bought it from in bulk. I spent whew, three, four weekends going through their dumpsters collecting everything I could collect on it. Uh, emails, packages, uh, probably left a treasure trove of information in those dumpsters because I didn't really know what I was doing. Right. But I carried it all to hide at DEA in Atlanta. <clears throat> and a few months later, Operation Logjam went down. Uh, 140-something arrest. It was at the time thirty-eight million in cash and asset seizures times three in drugs. Wow! So uh, they found the a, distributor. Is that what is that what happened? That we found the seller, the distributors, the manufacturers, the lawyer who was going around telling people, how, as store owners, how to sell this and circumvent the law. Wow! Uh, we had a retail compliance association who was telling stores how great this was and how much money they would make. And all 13 of them were arrested during this. They were involved in the product Dakota had. They were arrested during Operation Logjam. Uh, 
One of them was an attorney. Two of them were attorneys. One of them committed suicide the second day of his trial. Hmm. Uh, the rest of them were all convicted in federal court in Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, Judge Elizabeth Fouts was her name. Uh, they set the precedence in that case. Dakota was the first person in this country to be listed as a victim in a synthetic drug trial. Wow. Uh, and the precedence was set on how they would be sentenced. And it was uh, 20 years, $2 million fine was the maximum they would allow. While all this was going on, we, I, I went to war with the industry. I was finding the stores that were selling it. We got local and state legislation passed. And it kind of snowballed from there. Once we got legislation passed, we could get these people arrested and busted, <clears throat> especially the store owners and the distributors. Uh, we saw the uh, Federal Analog Act being used at the federal level. And, we, and explain that, the Federal Analog Act. Uh, federal you Analog Act, uh, okay. in layman's terms, basically what it's saying, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, we're going to call it a duck. Okay. It was set up originally for methamphetamines, uh, crack, crank, cocaine. The, the variants that you could do, it was if you tweaked it, Somehow, the Federal Analog Act could kick in and say, no, you are similar enough that we're going to call you what you are. Okay. So they were able to use the Federal Analog Act, what a lot of people didn't understand about synthetics, and we're seeing it today with fentanyl. Sometimes. The hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. What's happening with fentanyl is it's horrendous, but it's not new. Right. Uh, I listen to the news agencies talk about how new and upcoming, and I, this is not new and upcoming. Uh, there were some men a lot smarter than me predicting fentanyl being the the, the horrible drug to come out five years ago. Uh, what happened with the Federal Analog Act is they were tweaking these synthetics. Mm -hmm. They were changing one molecule and they could literally call it something different. But because the work of uh, Dr. Greg Andrus, Dr. Jeff Moran, members of DEA Forensics, they were able to find the common core, kind of like DNA, you could see the things that remained the same. And they were able to use the Federal Analog Act on their federal rates. A lot of local jurisdictions and state jurisdictions had two types of laws. You had what we called an all-inclusive law. That was basically saying any synthetic cathinone, cannabinoid, or opiate marketed package designed to mimic, emulate, or simulate a controlled substance shall be considered Schedule One narcotic. Wow. 
that covered them all, past, yeah. present, future. Yeah. And you had other states that had what we call DOT housekeeping laws. Every year, legislators have to repass their D- Department of Transportation laws to keep up with state highways, things such as that. They listed the individual chemical. Now, that made it a felony. But most of the governors empowered their pharmacy boards to make it a drug of concern, which gave their state agencies the right to search, seize, embargo, and destroy. They couldn't make any arrest, but we could take that off the streets. Hmm. Uh, today, all 50 states and their territories have a synthetic drug law. Um, I was honored to be a part of, at a minimum, 26 of them. Uh, but when Dakota passed, it was... All I needed was to fight back. Yeah. And that's what I did. We started speaking to schools, having uh, synthetic drug seminars, <laughs> educating parents. And those parents were like me. They had no idea. I was right. fortunate enough to surround myself with the smartest people I could find. The men I mentioned, uh, uh, legal minds, forensic minds, uh, the uh, director of Georgia Poison Control Center, uh, Dr. Gaylord Lopez, uh, I'm proud to say he's a good friend of mine, but one of the smartest people in the state of Georgia when it comes to synthetics and how to stop it, mm-hmm. when it would rear its head and we would have what we called hot spots. Uh, what a lot of parents and law enforcement didn't understand, and some still don't, is that we call these people commode chemist. They make this stuff in bathrooms, garages, basements. And when they spray it on there, there's no rhyme or reason to their recipe. They put too much of the chemical in one spot of the biological substance. And it makes it a whole lot more concentrated, say, than five inches away from it. We would see hot spots show up where a store would get a batch of it. They would sell it in a day. And within a matter of hours, the hospital was being flooded with people. Mm. Uh, to Dr. Lopez's credit, and at the time, CDC's, they would put boots on the ground. They would be there wanting to know what it was. They would. <clears throat> they had teams that could reverse engineer it uh, and tell their law enforcement agencies or the feds what they were dealing with, they were able to shut some of these businesses down relatively fast. Wow. What parents didn't realize, and I had, if I've had this question asked to me once, it's been a thousand times, is how is my child getting this? You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out, if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Your child's getting it through a green dot card, through allowance money, through swapping stuff and they can have it delivered straight to the home and the parent may never know it. Yep. They walk yep. in a convenience store and they buy it pre-made. Uh, parents have to be vigilant. 
they have to be aware. They, a lot of, I've had parents, oh, I've got to give my child their space. They have to find their identity. (laughs) Uh, They, they need to find themselves. And I, I'm a little crass. They're not lost. No. Uh, If they're lost, you need to tell them where to come to. Yeah. Uh, They don't know who they are. Tell them to look their driver's license or you tell them. Uh, they, they don't need to, the experimentation in this now is not 30 years ago with marijuana. People weren't falling out within five minutes dying from smoking marijuana 30 years ago. Right. We had people literally dying with the pipe or the rolled product or the vape product in their hand. Uh, and parents have to be more proactive they have to educate themselves yep. they a dumb old country boy like me can do it anybody can yep. they have to be in that child's life because what we're witnessing now in my opinion is the drugging and dumbing down of america's youth mm-hmm. we're seeing like fentanyl fentanyl is a synthetic opioid it's coming out of China, out of the same manufacturing plants that produced the synthetic cannabinoids 10 years ago. Uh, it's, how it's getting here has just changed. When the Spice K2 was coming in, it was being shipped direct through DHL facilities. Uh, the United States Postal Service was the biggest drug mule at the time. It was just being mailed through the mail. Since the synthetic drug laws and since the strengthening of uh, our customs enforcement uh, through drug detection equipment, canines, things such as that. The Chinese have partnered with the drug cartels. <laughs> they are shipping the product into Mexico. The cartels are using their mules or their people to come across our borders, and they're bringing it wholesale into the United States. Yeah, it, it, it it's a lot more deadly than synthetic cannabinoids and cathinones yeah. were. We're, but it's the ease, it's the cheapness, it's the way they are able to lace and make counterfeit pills with it. Uh, and young adults and young people today need some direction. Yep. They need, they don't need to be left to their own, uh, own demises with this. Because what they don't understand is how fatal. Right now, between the ages, I believe it's 17 and 50, fentanyl is the number one killer in this country. Wow. I mean, that's above heart attacks, suicide, cancer. It's it's involved in everything. Yep. Fentanyl and opioids are involved between it's 72 and I think it's 89% of all overdose deaths in this country. Wow. And of course, with fentanyl, it isn't always an overdose. Sometimes it's just straight out poisoning. Yes, ma'am. Because it's not that they take too much. They just try what they think is a Percocet or a Xanax, and there's enough fentanyl in it to kill them. Agreed. And it's with heroin. Uh, Heroin addicts are the most connoisseur addicts you'll ever run into. Mm. They know exactly how much they have to take to achieve desired effect. They know the type of heroin they're using. They are very particular about their heroin. Right. Heroin also is the hardest drug to get off of in rehab. Usually takes four to five trips. 
what happens is, is in between these rehabs, or they change a dealer, or a dealer loses his conscience, so to say, uh, if he ever had one, <laughs> they'll buy junk heroin. They'll lace it with fentanyl. They have heroin on steroids. Yep. And you get somebody that thinks they're doing what they've always done, get a hold of that heroin, and they die with a needle in their arm. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing more and more and more young people thinking fentanyl is, is, is a rite of passage. Uh, it's a rite of passage into a grave. Yeah, uh, that's, that's an interesting perspective. I mean, the amount of deaths that happen in this country that are opioid or we call them synthetics because all mm-hmm. of them are, mm-hmm. is the equivalent of a jet airliner with 375 people on board crashing in this country Every 20 hours. Yeah. Now, if every 20 hours we were having airlines drop out of the sky with three to 400 people on it and them dying, there would be major changes to the airline industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not a political opinion. This no, is but a- if the pilots of those jet airlines happen to be walking across the borders from Mexico into the United States, exactly. maybe something would change there. This is where our border needs to be shut down, not from an immigration point of view, but from a health and human services point of view, a national emergency when it comes to the fentanyl deaths. It needs to be shut completely down until there is a way we can stop it. Uh, I understand our point of entries. Uh, you know, Ellis Island was a point of entry. Yep. Wasn't people smuggling stuff through Ellis Island too much. But we have to shut it down because all we're doing is allowing the basically unrestricted flow of drugs to come into the United States with zero check and balance on our side. Is the Border Patrol doing doing the best they can to intercept them? Without question. Yeah. Those men and women down there, I've had the pleasure of meeting with them. They're doing a phenomenal job with the limited resources and limited personnel they have. Yep. Uh, I have in my mind a way that we can fix that problem in about three days. But yes, I'm sure you do. It's not you are a former correct. Army Ranger. You didn't say it's that, but I know It's not politically that. correct. You know, I, my, I, I understand that as well. My Land- idea, Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go I, ahead. I'd bring the boys out of Fort Hood with their tanks and armored personnel carriers and helicopters. Our border would be secured. Yep. But that's not... It's, it's, that's not how the, the line of thinking is today. I, I understand. Lance, I'm going to change the subject just a okay. little bit because I know from, um, from what I know about you, you, um, kind of moved off into educating kids and parents and you found the drug free, uh, world materials and, yeah. How did that come about and how are you using those materials and how is that making a difference? I'm not the traditional red ribbon week speaker. Okay. Uh, I'm very much in these kids' faces. I tell them exactly what happened when my son passed. I walk them through how it affected his loved ones, how it affected us. The things I had to do those days before we buried him, from the casket to the vault to identifying him as he come back to the funeral home, 
seeing what an autopsy did to my boy, uh, knowing that his eyes and some of his organs were helping keep other young people alive, mm. allowed one to see. All that's great, you know, that, that's a good thing for them, but as a father, it's not things you like to dwell on. No. But as I was being asked to come speak to schools, I realized I didn't have anything to give them except my story. Right. So I had partnered with DEA, SAMFAS, Homeland, Health and Human Services, and I was getting all the material that they had in bulk to be able to give to these kids. And they've got great material if you want statistics. Mm. Uh, DEA will tell you what a great job they're doing trying to stop it. And they were. Uh, I've got much love for the DEA. <laughs> uh, Health and Human Services tells you the bad parts about it. Sanfus will tell you how many people went through emergency rooms. And for me or for a legislator or for law enforcement, that's fabulous material. For a 15-year-old kid sitting in a gym, it's boring. Uh, I was testifying in Washington State to their Senate Judiciary Committee. And when it was done, I was in a senator's office with some senators. We were discussing the law. And I had to leave to go get on a plane, come back home. As I was walking down the hall, there was a side table in the hallway. And there was a tr one Truth About Drugs pamphlet laying there. And I was like, mm, I ain't seen that one yet. Let me check this out. Picked it up, kind of looked at it, stuck it in my jacket pocket, and left. I read it on the plane ride home. By the time I got back to Bremen, Georgia, I wanted to know where this came from. Whose was it? So I made a few phone calls. I wound up getting, it, at the beginning, it was all 14 of the pamphlets. And I vetted them. I had people that I knew look at them. Uh... DEA, I had some forensics people, and they said, Lance, there's no fault in it. I said, okay. And I somehow or another, I wound up in contact with a lady by the name of Maria Roosevelt out of Vermont. <laughs> I, to this day, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but she started making sure I got plenty of this material in. And what I noticed was in the box sets. There's a box set. I wish I had one. I should. Uh, 14 pamphlets. Everything from alcohol to the heavy-hitting drugs of the times. The kids were sticking them in their pockets. They were sticking them in their book bags. The way I gauge the success of the material, with the DEA stuff and, and SAMFAS and Homelands, CDCs, half of it would be left in the bleachers. I'd pick it up and reuse it again. I've never had to pick up a box set or Truth About Drugs pamphlet anywhere. Wow. wow. Uh, every now and then, oh, I've already got one, but here, and they'll give it back to me. We've, it, we've been very successful with that material. I was fortunate enough to be able to partner with the Foundation for a Drug-Free World. They've never said no. Uh, we've... They keep up with the stats and other people do. I don't. <laughs> but there's, we put a bunch of those out. Yeah. I mean, a bunch Do you of know how many? Do they tell you how many? Uh, yeah. Uh, we're, we're, 
we're way up in the high hundred thousands. Okay. I think we need um, to I think we need to pitch you against Michael DeLeon, who also uses those materials. So we'll we'll see how many he's done. You got y'all can start no, a, a friendly contest. A, no. <laughs> uh my, Michael has got a I I admire him. He's got him a niche <laughs> that he just come off out of Canada with thousands of kids up there. Yep. And I don't know how much material he gave out. I'm sure it was a bunch. Yep. But he's, he's, Michael's, he's doing good work. He yep. really is. He's got, he's got a niche with these kids that is, is, he, he's, he's being successful. But he has uh, a story of his own and you have the story of Dakota. And I think both of you have such a, a personal powerful story and i think that resonates with the kids and hopefully it resonates with parents as well because you know you were saying this before but it, it, parents think never would it happen to my kid and what they need to understand you know you're looking yeah, at him. i know and 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 what they need to understand is it's not because your child is bad it's not because your child um is unethical it's not because your child um, wants to do, you know, wants to die, they just get caught up and think, oh, well, I can try this. Because when you're 16, 17, 18, 20, you are invincible. You're so, 10 foot tall and bulletproof with a big ass on your chest. Exactly. And this is not going to happen to you. And you parents think my kid is an A student. My kid is, you know, into sports. My kid is an artist. It's not going to happen. And it just takes one of these synthetic pills that is that can kill them and it, it's just that's why i keep coming back to poisoning it's not overdose you know no, it's we, one thing yeah it's one thing if your child gets addicted to cocaine or addicted to painkillers and goodness knows since we've started this podcast we've talked to so <laughs> many people that fall into that category but this is different this is you know, this is Russian roulette, and I can't tell you how many times I've said this on the podcast, Lance, but it's it's Russian roulette. Are you going to take a gun? Are you going to put one bullet in there, spin it, and see if you can kill yourself? I say the same thing to the kids I speak to. It's it's not a question of will these drugs get you. It's a question of when. That's right. You may get away with it one, two, three, five, or ten times, but eventually you're going to pay the piper. Yep. Whether it's your health, whether it's your mental stability, whether it is law enforcement, eventually it's going to get you. Yep. And hopefully when it does, it's not fatally. Yep. Uh, we we call the people that manufacture and sell this stuff merchants of death and narco terrorists. Yep. That's what they are. Yep. Uh, we've been saying for 11 years that it's it's not a high. It's a poison. Like you were saying. That's right. These are poisons. They are actually, they're doing what they're designed to do. They, I never thought in a million years, drug dealers would not care about their customers. And that sounds kind of strange. No, but I get it. If you think about in the heyday of the cocaine cowboys, cocaine dealers were very particular about the cocaine they sold. They wanted the customers to come back. They wanted to have the best. They wanted to, to make their money. The drug dealers that we have today, they don't care about the, the, the customer base. They don't care if they live or die. They know they've got generate. It's generational. It's coming up more and more. And these drugs, 
They do not know age, sex, race, religion. All they know is money. Yep. If you've got the money, they'll sell it. Yep. And they don't care what it does to them. And if you look at so many things over the past 10 years that's transpired, um, one of the things that sticks out with me that I've been a part of and seen is officer-related shootings. People will, will really hammer at some officers about, oh, you shouldn't have shot them. They didn't have a weapon or they what they don't look at is they don't wait until the forensics and the toxicology comes back. In so many of these cases, these officers were dealing with someone who was going through that excited delirium or a psychotic break. And they've used everything on their belt. They've used a tactical baton. They've used pepper spray. They've used a stun gun. And they've retreated back as far as they can go. And they have no choice except right. to shoot them. Uh, I've seen officers tase men. There's one in particular. It's in, was in a Burger King. He was tased 16 times, and he never went down. Wow. He didn't fall down. Wow. I've seen them try to bite officers, try to uh, one out of Texas, man, run off a front porch strung out on this and snatched a poodle away from an elderly couple, walking their dog down the sidewalk, run back up on his porch. And sat there and proceeded to eat that dog alive. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. We've had so many cases. A young man out of West Virginia. He's still in a permanent care facility today in a medically induced coma. Because when they wake him up and they try to bring him out of it, he thinks he's on fire. Oh. What happened to him is he got a hold of some of the, of the uh, synthetic cannabinoids that actually was laced with ketamine, which is a horse sedative. Right. Whatever it did to that boy's brain was permanent and it was severe. He ran out of the house, jumped in a river behind the house that had ice floating down and it stood there. <clears throat> Law enforcement, rescue people get there, get out in John boats, try to get him. And he's begging them to get in the water with him because he thinks the world is on fire. Mm. They finally sedate him enough. They get him back, get him to the hospital. They have to amputate his feet, his fingers, and uh, other unmentionables. And every time they tried to bring him out of medically induced coma, he would have a cardiac event because he thought the room and the doctors were on fire. Wow. That's what this, there's another girl out of Texas. I know her mother, know her. She was a senior. I don't know if she was salutatorian or valedictorian. Tried this stuff and her mother had to teach her how to feed herself again, had to teach her how to walk again, mm -hmm. how to teach her how to use a spoon. The effects of these drugs on people are so horrendous and where they're coming from, those people are intent on destruction yep. of generations of our young people. Yep. Well, I applaud you for everything you're doing. I am sorry that it took Dakota's death to get you involved in this, but I know that you are saving lives and 
hopefully with this podcast, which is one of our more hard hitting podcasts with everything you're telling us, people will take note and parents will listen and parents will sit their children down and say, you need to, you need to learn this. And you didn't mention it, but I'm going to say it, drugfreeworld.org. All of these materials that Lance has been using, they are completely free. Free. You just need to reach out and get them and teach your children. And the other thing that I know, because I'm very familiar with these materials, is that there are very hard-hitting public service announcements and a documentary that will turn your hair white because these are people who've lived it and done it and experienced it and sold drugs and they they don't candy coat where they're at today and what they went through and that that is something that whether you be a parent a school teacher business it doesn't matter if you're watching this podcast get the things you want to ask for is ask for a brochure set ask for a box set uh and ask for a dvd uh the person you're going to talk to if you call or out there you're is going to be Miss Olga. Uh, <laughs> she'll get it to you. Yeah. Uh, yep. Sit down and read it. What ha, you know, Have a frank and honest discussion with your children. And parents, be parents. Yep. You're not a, don't be their friend. They don't need a friend. Yep. They've got friends at school. Be the parent. Put your foot down. Don't be in this to win a popularity. I'm going to be the cool mom or I'm going to be the cool dad. No, because I never, I was that parent you were talking about. Never, not my son. Uh Uh-uh, no, no way. I I was that parent until it happened. Right. And I run into him to to this day. I still run into parents like that. And I'll tell them, tell you something. It can happen to my boy. It can happen to anybody. And the thing about the Foundation for a Drug-Free World and the material that they have out, it's non-judgmental, it's non-governmental, it's non-religious, it's free. That's the reason it is so attractive to the schools and colleges we've been able to put it into, is that it's not costing the taxpayers one dime when we put this material into schools. There are online courses uh, through Drug-Free World that classes can take. There are teacher's kits that have a teacher's workbook to tell her how to go through them. It has the box sets. It has the DVDs. It has everything self-contained that a teacher would need to teach drug education and drug awareness to a classroom. These boxes, there are private companies out there that sell these things anywhere between $1,700 and $2,500 a box. Drug-Free World does it for free. Yep. And they don't ask for anything in return except how what what are the results? How how is this impacting your student body or how is this impacting your family? <laughs> That's how I got into it. I've got lucky and found it. <laughs> uh, and have been using it ever since. I wouldn't use anything else. Uh, it's it's the, the DVD is the people in it that's talking about their situations in life. They are these young adults' peers. Yep. And parents, your children are the single most precious natural resource this country has. Yep. It is our job to protect it. It's our job 
to educate them. If we don't, we're doomed to have history repeat itself over and over and over again. When we're losing as many children as we're losing today, to death, to the mental, the, the brain damage that's done, we are losing a wealth of success in generations of young people. This, this whole, uh, I just, I, I don't know where in our history or where in our culture parents stop being parents. Mm. And I see that. I'm not saying all parents are that way. No, I know. But I'm seeing it more and more that we're, we're, uh, we're not taking the time to sit down with them mm-hmm. and, you know, explain it to them and tell them what these drugs do to them. Not don't do drugs because I say so. Eh, no, that, that's not cutting it anymore. We have right. to give them reasons. And if we don't stop it, there are parents out there who are doing it today. They'll do it tomorrow and they will do it next week. They will make the same phone calls I made. They will walk into a funeral home and have a funeral home director explain to them how long a vault will keep the moisture out of their child's casket. Mm. They will have to walk in there and have a blanket pulled back and you see the incisions. Uh, you see what they did to your child. Those are mental pictures that you will carry with you till the day you die. Yeah. And it can be prevented. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is say no more. With us, I mean, we, we, we got a little crazy at times. We would go out and we'd be at 7 o'clock on a Friday morning in front of a convenience store selling and protesting. Yep. They couldn't sell a set of eggs, much less <laughs> gas. We call these people out, and it's not just synthetics. I'm really fixing to make some people upset. But Kratom? is out there. People say, oh, Kratom is from the coffee family. It's a leaf on a tree. That's true. But when it is made into an extract or a concentrate and it's advertised and billed 500 times stronger than that actual leaf, go to Starbucks and drink 500 cups of coffee. I guarantee that's the last caffeine craving you'll ever have. Yep. That's the same way with Kratom. And you you know, Lance, I'll just say um, that when we did a podcast and we had a few negative things to say about Kratom, we got a lot of attacks. We've gotten a lot of attacks when we talk about marijuana and the, um, the really bad idea to legalize it in this country. And frankly, I don't care any more than you care. You know, you've lived it and we don't care. You know, we want the people that launch him attacks is either botanical legal defense fund or the American Kratom association. Yep. And I've stopped their butts cold in several States that have made it illegal. <laughs> they don't like me and I don't like them. Well, and it's also people who are addicted. They're addicted to Kratom and they think, oh, you can't get addicted to Kratom or they're addicted to marijuana. Those people are their foot soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. This is about money. Yep. The, uh, let me tell you a little history about their main organization, the American Kratom Association. It was initially, the idea came from uh, Susan Ash and Wesley Todd. 
Well, Wesley Todd got arrested for smoking, smuggling heroin out of Mexico into California. He's, I think, still serving time down in Florida. Susan Ash was removed as the director of the American Kratom Association for several reasons. The people they've got running it now, professional lobbyists, one of them has a very questionable and checkered past. I think he even got himself in some trouble one time. And they're in it for the money. They go out to these Kratom stores who are making a fortune off Kratom. And, oh, we, we've got a disaster coming up. They create a disaster within the Kratom world. And they get people to donate them money. This is how these men survive. This is their job. Wow. And wow. it is the biggest pyramid scheme con you will ever run into. But Kratom is still addictive. People say, oh, it's not addictive. I tell you what, Google Kratom addiction in whatever state you're from, just or Kratom rehab, and look at how many places pop up. <laughs> the rehab business would not be interested in Kratom if it was not creating addicts. There would be no money in it for them. They right. wouldn't waste the time advertising. Uh, you've got deaths associated with Kratom, and in some cases, other drugs were involved. We have people, oh, it'll get you off heroin, it'll get you off this, it'll get you off that. You're trading one addiction for another. Correct. Uh, marijuana, when I get into that conversation, I laugh. <laughs> you look at the studies on marijuana. They're 20, 30 years old. The marijuana of today has been altered so much. It's been spliced, It's been, and it's so much more potent than what it was out there 30 years ago. You can't use those studies and make a comparison to what's out there today. Nope. Uh, you know, the CBD oils and the gummies and all of this. These are not marketed to adults. <laughs> nope. A gummy bear? Really? You're marketing this to kids. You're making it acceptable for their generation. Uh, you go into a city, my little town right here, 25,000, 30,000 people. We got 18 stores. That sell these products. Wow. Uh, overkill. But you get on a Friday afternoon after payday, every one of them's full. Yep. And they'll say, oh, it's medicine. Hey, medicine? You want, if you need medicine, go see a doctor. Oh, I don't like doctors. I want traditional healing. Well, then you go find the oldest lady that lives out in the woods, and I can guarantee you she's got some, some traditional herbal things that don't involve you getting high. Yep. But like you said, they, they don't like anybody that says anything about their product. Yep. But it's not going to change. I mean, with the fentanyl, we got car fentanyl, we got parafentanyl coming out. Yep. The rainbow fentanyl, what part of my display is the big Crayola chalk crayons. They were importing those in, in a Crayola crayon box. And it was fentanyl, multicolored fentanyl. Wow. When it got here, they'd break it up and sell it. This is how this was one of their smuggling techniques. Wow. What we, we, we got to turn around and fight. I mean, yep. I, I say that. I hate to be confrontational about it. But we have to go after these people that are manufacturing, selling, and distributing this. And we have to fight them. And we have to you know, make, make the cost of doing business so high that they wouldn't think about poisoning our children again. Yep. And until that's done, unfortunately, people like me, Michael, David, 
uh, folks around. Uh, there's countless people I can think of across the country. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. It's, I, I, I just cannot look myself in the mirror knowing that another parent has to go through what me and my wife went through when I might have been able to prevent. Yep. Well, we appreciate you. That's why we do this. We don't want another parent to go through what you went through. And I would say to parents, if you're not quite brave enough to go down to the convenience stores and check out their shelves and give them a hard time, at least check out drugfreeworld.org, get the materials, you can then educate. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't need any kind of certification. I pretty much guarantee if you get one of the box sets from Drug Free World, you will know way more about drugs than pretty much everybody else that you meet. So yep. if Lance can do that, you can do that. No excuses. It doesn't cost anything, so you can't say it's too expensive. And you can do something about it. You can get out there and do something about it. Lance, you are a rock star. Thank you for doing everything that you do. And I feel like we need to have another interview with you down the line because you stay so on top of this stuff. Um, yeah, I'm sure you have way more that you could tell us, but I appreciate you very much. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be on here with you today. And no, I'm not a rock star. I'm a foot soldier. The uh, rock stars are people like you that get the information out there. The people that make the material that I use. The people that donate and, and, and make it where they can get that material out to folks. There's the rock stars. Those are the people that empower me. They, they make it so we can do what we do. Uh, uh, for them... There's no 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 banner big enough. There's no trophy tall enough to honor them. Uh, the only thing that I can ever think of is when I have the opportunity is tell them not metaphorically, but actually you what you do is saving lives. And if you're doing that, that's a pretty good day. And the people that make it possible for me to do what I do, they're the that's the heroes right there. Thanks. Thank you, Lance. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you didn't get anything else out of Lance's interview, please, please, please go to drugfreeworld.org, get the truth about drug materials, and use them to educate others. If you can't do anything else, you can do that. Everybody can do that. Have a great day. Have a great week. We'll be back again with another interview. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.